Well, good morning, Willow Park Church. You're looking great. I'm excited to bring the word this morning to you, and welcome as well if you're joining us online. If you have your Bibles, please grab them and turn to Romans chapter 7 or your mobile devices. Switch them on, switch Facebook off, Instagram off, Bible on. My name's Glenn, and I'm one of the pastors here at Willow Park, and uh, I'm excited to share the, uh, the final sermon in a series that we've been working through over the last few weeks called Changed. And so today what I want to do is just bring it all together, give a bit of a summary by using a piece of scripture in Romans 7 that uh, I believe God will really, really speak to us through. Um, the second Halloween is over, something remarkable happens in our culture. Christmas begins. And so I just wanted to show you some, uh, some gifts that I've already wrapped. Are you impressed? Please notice the, uh, the symmetrical ribboning. That's when you're a professional ribboner, like I am, that's what you call it. Um, actually, that wasn't me at all. I, I got that off Google. But just as a quick survey, how many of you are one of those kind of people who can just get a pair of scissors and go straight through, no problems at all, rather than like that? You, you know the, what, what I'm talking about? Hands up. Let's see you. Yeah. I, I, I don't actually understand how much time is taken. It's It's beautiful. But I just want to get to the gift. Just, just yeah, that's lovely, brilliant. Let, let's just rip it apart. Let's get to the gift. Let's get to what it's all about. And you see, it's kind of interesting when we think about gifts, and we'll be talking about, as we move into our series next week, uh, we'll be talking about how we worship the King, and one of them is how do we give gifts. And, and as, as Christians, we've been given the very best gift but sometimes we get caught up with playing with the box, just like we used to when we were kids. You know, we put the, the gift aside, and then we spend all our time in the box, playing with the box. And as Christians, we, we have a tendency to do that. What does the box look like? What's the packaging look like for a Christian? Well, it's all those good things that as a pastor, we really like to hear about. It's, it's you reading your Bible, it's you praying, it's you coming to church, it's volunteering, it's definitely giving in your tithes and offerings, uh, making cookies at the living nativity and going to community group. That's all the package. And sometimes we get caught up with playing with the package, believing that's what the gift is all about, when actually the gift is all about Jesus. And I think until we fully understand the gift that we've been given in Jesus, then we don't actually have real and effective change happen in our lives because the package doesn't bring the change. Jesus brings the change. And as we understand and as we look at ourselves and as we work through our lives and God gives us opportunity through circumstances and through challenges and through different things that we have to experience in our lives, He gives us opportunity to give ourselves a long, hard look and go, well, what needs to change? And we've heard over the last few weeks that these challenges, these opportunities are, are there to give us an indication so that we can actually come to Jesus and know that we need to change. This scripture we're going to look at in just a second is like a mirror. And it's a very sobering mirror. Um, it's, not, it's not like one of these mirrors. I don't know if any of you have ever stood in front of a carnival mirror. That is not me. Um, and uh, I just thought that, was, I thought that was a great image. But this is what our culture does. 
It puts a mirror in front of us and says, let's compare yourself to what's going on in our world, and it gives us a distorted view of ourselves because we think we're doing okay compared to him. Boy, that person's got problems. Yeah, I'm, I'm not like that person. And it gives us a distorted view. By the way, be warned, um, I was watching Shark Tank a few weeks ago, I really enjoy that program, and there is somebody now who's producing mirrors that are slightly distorted and putting them into shops and retail outlets so that you actually look thinner in the shop. It's true, and you can only tell by the little logo in the bottom right-hand corner, so you, look, you stand, and I, and I have to be honest, I think this is especially directed at the ladies, because guys, I, I, to me, I'm just like, I'll take that and I'll try it on at home. But so you stand in front of the mirror and you look slim and you go, wow, I look amazing. And then you go home and you stand in front of your mirror and you're like, how did I put eight pound on between going from the mall here? So just, just be careful. Have a look at that little, see if there's a little logo in the bottom right hand corner of these distorted mirrors. So Romans 7 gives us a very, very clear view of what is actually going on in our lives. I think as we read these few verses, you'll go, hey, that... That really describes me. It's like, it's like Paul is reading my journal or he's following me around. So let's, let's read through Romans chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. I need to stop there because I had it pointed out to me last night that apparently I say law in the correct way, whereas you go law. Is that, would that be right? The, the law. And I, and I find that confusing because I think we all have lawyers, not liars. <laughs> I, I'll leave you with that. So just think about that as we read through the scripture because the correct pronunciation of this word will come up quite a few times. For so we know that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Now, notice this scripture, this verse in particular. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So this is the Apostle Paul really describing a struggle that every one of you and I have. That we know what is the right thing to do, but we just seem to be unable to consistently do it. We want to do the right thing, but it just seems that we keep on drifting towards doing the wrong thing. And then he goes on to verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin, and then it carries on, that dwells in me. Sin that dwells in me. You see, Paul is not saying it's because of my circumstances that I'm acting this way. It's not that, oh, if only my boss was different, then I would act differently. If only my family was different, then all my troubles would go away. And if this situation, if I had more money, or if I had a better job, or if, my, if, my, if, if, if this relationship this would change, then, then my life would be fine. Paul doesn't say that. He carries on. He just stops at the wrong place in that verse. Yes, it is, but it is sin who dwells in me, invisible ink. 
It's sin who dwells in me. It's the internal struggle that Paul is saying is the issue, not the external struggle. That's very, very important. It continues, for I delight... For I delight in the law of God. Let's just stop there for a second. There are three ways you can approach this passage. The first way is that people, some Bible commentators would say, this is Paul talking hypothetically. This is not Paul talking autobiographically. This is him just saying, this is what it's like to not be a Christian. That's the first approach. The second approach is that some people believe this is Paul talking about before he was a Christian. So it is autobiographical, but not present day. These words here show us that actually Paul is describing his situation today. For I delight in the law of God. You don't delight in the law of God if you're not a Christian. The Bible actually says you hate the law of God. So this is Paul saying, right now, today, I'm struggling. And I'm encouraged by that. It's kind of nice when you're going through difficult times to hear that other people are going through difficult times because you kind of go, oh, it's not just me. This is the Apostle Paul with his, with his kind of Superman pee on his front chest and cape flying in the wind. This is the Apostle Paul who raises people from the dead. That's, you know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul, struggling. Struggling. And he carries on in verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who will deliver me. So he he changes right at the end of chapter 7, moving into chapter 8. His tone changes. He's reflecting on the struggle. And then it's this release of praise. Who's going to save me from this body of death? I'm a wretched man. Jesus, he is my rescuer. He is my changer. He is my deliverer. He is the one who loves me for who I am, not what I do. So this passage actually shows us some very important principles that I want to work really quickly through this morning as we draw this series to an end. And, and it's important that what it, we understand what it is that we're dealing with so then we have a better chance of actually being able to seek Jesus and understand how he can deliver us from the struggle that Paul is describing here that we can all, I hope, resonate as we stand in front of this perfect mirror. The first thing I want you to notice is that sin is certain. Sin is certain, and, and I've tried very hard. I, I hit thesaurus.com really well this week to try and get everything to begin with a C. So we've got three Cs. Sin is certain. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Paul is saying this is a certainty. We are going to struggle with sin. It's a law. Just like gravity is a law, it's an inescapable life certainty. You cannot defy gravity by good decisions, self-help books, going to seminars, uh, just trying really hard, you know, self-will, discipline. That's the way. No, you you can't defy gravity that way. You cannot defy sin that way. Sin is a certainty. You're going to struggle with it. Aren't you glad you came to church? These last two weeks, Phil was saying, boy, this is just 
hold on with us to the end. It always, it always ends well because it ends with Jesus. So let's just, just hold on. But sin is a certainty. If you went to the top of a building and decided that by pure self-determination you were going to defy the law of gravity, then you would quickly find out that you can't. It's a law. Paul is saying exactly the same thing. You can't escape it. It's like a magnet that continually draws us towards it in every area of our lives. Whether you're by yourself or you're at work or you're with a family or you're driving in the car, wherever you go, sin constantly causes this drawing. It entices, James says. It's like we drift towards it. We don't naturally drift towards godliness. We drift towards sin. When we first moved to Kelowna, um, my wife and I, Sarah, uh, we, we saved up really hard and, and got, a, got a boat. We don't have it anymore for reasons that you will soon find out. But we, we had a boat because we figured uh, it was actually our anniversary uh, on Friday. We've been married 22 years, which is, which is wonderful. But we decided that we were going to test our marriage by buying a boat. Because I knew nothing about boats at all. I used to be a swimming instructor. Instructor That was as close as I got to kind of understanding water. I went to the local test center. I studied for maybe five or ten minutes, passed my, uh, my boat driver's license, and then they just give you free reign. There's a boat. Go cause chaos. And so that's what we decided to do. It tested our marriage because we didn't know how to hitch a boat, reverse into the lake, get the boat out of the lake. That's the real problem. Getting in is not a problem. Getting back out of the lake is a problem. I honestly thought at times we were just going to live on this little 19-foot boat because that's it. I just can't get out. Because we can never get that trailer straight enough. How am I meant to get a boat off a lake when the trailer is that way? And I'm in the boat, and my wife is trying to reverse the trailer, and eventually somebody in the El Dorado who was sat having a beer, felt sorry for us, came down, jumped in the truck for my wife. I'm watching this. <laughs> He's just like, I obviously feels great pity, because I know all the people sat at the El Dorado having a beer are there to watch the chaos. And he reversed it and we got out. But this one particular time, I said last night as well, we took Phil and Michelle out on the boat once. Remember I was giving you a good soaking? Because I forgot to pull the anchor in. And just went like that and shot off. And there was this plume of water filling the back of the boat all over Michelle. It was a beautiful day. I remember you holding your camera like this because you didn't want it to get wet. So you can see how it would test a marriage because it's hard work. There was one rule I was told. That actually made complete sense to me. Out of all the things that I learned about the boat, is watch for the black line on the lake. If you see a black line approaching from Penticton down the lake, get off the lake because that means the weather's changing. I was obsessed with this black line. Is that a black line? I think that's a black line. Let's go. No, no, it's just a log. You're fine. Black line. So, but actually, one particular day, this re- the wind really did get up, come up, and everybody was trying to get off the lake. The waves were actually really, really choppy. It was, quite, it was quite scary. And so we all ended up going towards the El Dorado. And this is what happened. You have all these boats sitting in the El Dorado waiting to get in. And because the wind is so strong, everyone is drifting towards the dock. Everybody's just moving, and you reverse 
and then you move. You see, we've got the right boat, we have the right gears, we have the right life preservers, we have the power, we have the steering, we have everything we need not to drift towards the dock, but the wind is causing us to push. And if we reverse, then the water was filling the boat at the back. The waves were that big. So eventually we got off the lake. But there was nothing I could do. There was nothing that I could could say, okay, you know what, I'm going to defy these waves and not drift towards the dock. It was just a natural drift. And that is exactly what sin is like. That lake, the weather system, everything about it, doesn't matter how great your boat is, it is stronger. And there are times... In our lives, when we feel that the strength of sin is stronger than what is actually living in us, which is the gift that Peter says, all things have been given to us that pertain to life and godliness. It is stronger. He who lives in me is stronger, and yet the drift still happens. I don't do what I want to do. Sin is certain. Secondly, sin results in conflict. Romans 7 verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. See there again, you see this is his description of Christianity. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. Fighting against sin is a battle. It's conflict. It's every day. It's constant. Fights inside. Between what? What is the fight between? Paul describes it here. He's saying there's the law of God, the kingdom of God, and then there's the kingdom of me. And so this battle is between God's kingdom and my kingdom. My will and God's will. God's choices, my choices. God's heart, my heart. God's desires, my desires. My will, God's will. It's constant challenge that goes on. You see, sin is a conflict. And if I forget the gift, if I forget the kingdom, if I forget who I am, who Jesus is in me, then this conflict intensifies and I lose the war. I go after what I want to go after. So our thoughts and our desires and our words and our responses and our reactions are all leaning towards what we want and our choices and our will and our kingdom rather than going towards what he wants, his choices, his heart, his kingdom. If we forget the gift and we struggle and we get caught up in this cycle of sin, and we sin and, when we, and we, we, we drift and we hit the dark and we, and we fail. And then we feel guilty and we feel full of shame. And then we distance ourselves from God because we believe, you know, if, he, he might, if we just distance ourselves for a bit, then he might forget that we did it. And then after a little while, we come back, we ask for forgiveness, and then we, we, we think we're okay again. Maybe we get a little bit prideful and a bit more self-righteous. And then we drift, we hit the dark, and we sin. And then there's guilt and there's shame and then we leave it for a little while so God forgets for a bit and then we ask for forgiveness and then it's good again, self-righteousness comes and then we drift and we hit the, and there's just this cycle and it's exhausting. So your anger is not motivated by God's kingdom, it's your kingdom, your will, your choices, your frustration, your fear, your worry, your lust, your control, whatever it might be, then none of those are motivated by God's kingdom. It's your kingdom. 
And eventually you get caught in this cycle of desperately trying hard by pure self-will to stop and it doesn't work. We really want to rule when we already have a ruler. That's the gift. That's the gift. You see, sin is certain and we are in a conflict. Thirdly, sin takes us captive. Verse 23, but I see in my members another law, see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. You see, sin is enticing. It captures us. It's very alluring. It's very insidious. It starts very small. And then we start drifting very steadily and slowly towards it. Sometimes we don't even notice that we're drifting. Remember the prodigal son moved away from his father. He didn't go from his father to the the pig, you know, in one big step. It was step by step. Step by step. Because sin is addictive. It's captivating. And it will hold you against your will, just like Paul is describing here. Let me show you something now that is just going to just lift your spirits just for a little while. This is the greatest um, uh, sign of true Canadian. Okay? Ah, oh, that's the biggest response I've had all morning. Ah, oh, Timbits. Aren't they wonderful? Look at the size of that. Wouldn't that be great? Something about Timbits. They're they're deceptively small. Just the one. You know, something happens, and, and Steve was absolutely right on the, on the video there about cookies. It's dangerous bringing cookies when the staff are all in. Uh, I think they're very well hidden. Cheryl does a great job. But there's something very strange that happens. You can decide, you know what, I'm just going to have the one Timbit. Because I'm being good today. And I'm going to resist because I don't need it. And I'm going to make sure that everybody in the office notices that I walk past. No. I don't need that. I am not captivated by sin. And then you walk past it again on the way to the photocom. You go, I'll just have one more. Just, just, just the one. Because they're so small. And they end up having two. And then you walk past again, maybe on the way to the washroom. It's just one. Because you know, that's barely a whole donut. Three Timbits. I mean, that's probably minus calories, right? So let's, let's just go for three Timbits, and it'll be fine. And before you know it, you've eaten half the box. And you're feeling guilty and full of shame, and sin has got you again. It's insidious. I said, this is, it, something really interesting happens working in a Christian organization when it comes to cakes and donuts in our office. You know, we, we, some, you know, the really loving members of the church drop off cakes and donuts for the staff. Thank you to those of you in the room. Subtle hint. Um, but the, the donuts, and they, they kind of disappear very quickly because we have a youth department. And then there's one left. And then something wonderful happens. Because we're all so Christian. So I couldn't take the last one. I'll cut it in half. And you eat the half, and then there's half left. And I've seen this happen. Phil has as well. And then you come in, oh, there's a half one left. Somebody else, oh, I couldn't take the last half. Like the Brit in me is just take the whole thing. Who cares? I'll cut that half in half. 
I'll just take the quarter. I have seen fractions of cakes left with a knife next to it. It's going small until you get down to cake atom. I couldn't take a whole one. Not a whole cake atom. I'll cut it in half because I'm so Christian. But sin is insidious. It will captivate you. You see, we have an enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. And he will use anything at his disposal to bring you and your loved ones down. It will start small and you will drift towards it. And Paul is describing the process beautifully. He's like, I don't want this, but I drift towards it all the time. Sin is certain, it's a conflict, and it's captive. And then he finishes off the chapter by saying this, wretched man that I am, you can feel the tension. Who will deliver me from this body of death? 25 years ago, uh, I preached on this verse. This was my very first sermon, who will deliver me from this body of death? Sarah was there uh, when we were dating, and it was in a youth group. I don't know what I was thinking. I think it was because... This body of death is actually a Roman execution method. And what they would do is if you were a murderer and you got found to be guilty, then they would take the body and they would strap you, chain you face to face, arm to arm, body to body, to the dead body. Just, it's horrible to think about, but just think about that just for a second. You would slowly die as the decay from the death would move into your body. And often, most times, people would go completely insane because of the constant aroma. You see, Paul is likening sin to that body of death. That it is just this aroma, it's putrid, it will kill you, it will result in death. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, or if you're exploring Christianity and you're just thinking through church, let me tell you, there is nothing you can do, no amount of self-will or discipline is going to release you from this body of death. And you know it experientially to be true because you try, and that's why the self-help section is one of the largest sections in chapters, because people are desperate to try and heal themselves. And Paul is saying you can't release yourself from the body of death. Because sin is certain. It will captivate you. It will capture you. It doesn't stop itself. It's a constant conflict. And then he goes on. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's saying, who is going to release us from this body of death? Who's going to deliver me from this conflict? Who's going to stop the constant drift? Who is going to be the one that's going to rescue me from this constant that I have in my life? Jesus Christ the Lord. He is the ruler. And he's saying this, we never move past the gospel. We never lose sight of the cross. We never move past it and say, well, that's just for the elementary. No, the cross is for Christians. We need the grace of Jesus today, Christians. Today, as much as the day when we first became a Christian, we need that constant life transformation, that constant confession, that constant repentance is part of who we need. You see, the gift... Let's not get caught up with just playing with the package. Let's keep on going back to the gift. Keep on going back to the cross because that is our answer. You see, Jesus brings 
Forgiveness. Romans 8 verse 1. The very next chapter. There is therefore. Why? Why is that there therefore? What is there therefore therefore there? It's there because he's just referred to, this is my life, this is my hope, Jesus. Therefore, I do not have to live with condemnation on my life. Sorry. We don't have to live with condemnation. We can be released from this body of death. We can be rescued from this body of death because Jesus Christ is Lord. completely forgiven the cross covers our sin in the past today and in the future you see in Romans 3 Paul says that Jesus Christ died while we were still sinners there's nothing we do to deserve this non-condemnation this forgiveness we do he, he loves us because he loves us And I say this very often, and it's so true. God is not in love with a future version of you. God is not in love with this future, better, more discipled, Christian version of you in the future. He loves you now. So who will release you from this body of death, this cycle? The one who loves you unconditionally. And that allows us to come to him quickly when we fail and say, Jesus... I am sorry. We don't need the distance. We don't need the guilt and shame. We don't need any of that because Jesus is ready, just like the father in the prodigal son who was stood watching the hill, waiting for his son to return so he could lift up his robes and run. And it was undignified for a father to do that. The Bible says that Jesus endured the shame of the cross so he could run towards us and hold us like that father, that wretched son, who had sinned so diabolically against his father, was accepted back, forgiven. No condemnation. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Jesus brings power. This is just summarizing some of the things that Phil and I have been preaching on over the last few weeks. He gives us power. Galatians 2.20, just an amazing verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He gives us power to resist the drift. He gives us power to live life in that godliness of all those gifts that we have been given through him. We can live in that power. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. In pursuit, they've been going through James as a series. It's an amazing book, and I I love James. And there's this very powerful section where it talks about sin and temptation. And then James, in almost like a throwaway comment, tells us how we resist the drift. And notice the order in which he says it. He does not say resist the devil and submit to God. He says submit to God and resist the devil. Because this is what the devil knows. Is if he can keep us focused on trying to resist our sin by pure self-will, then we'll never get towards God because we'll so feel so bad about ourselves all the time. So he says submit to God first. Remember who you are. Press into him. Come to the cross Come and listen to the gospel, read about the gospel, sing about the gospel, rejoice in the gospel, in and out of season, even it's a sacrifice of praise. Come to the cross, submit to God, and you will find that you will be able to resist the devil. 
thirdly, Jesus brings complete freedom. He brings forgiveness. He brings power. He brings freedom. There will be a day, and what an amazing day it will be, when all this conflict, when sin being a certainty, all of it will disappear. And those of you who know him will become like him. And all that tension that we all have every day will disappear and there will be joy. There will be no more captives. Our deliverer will not relent. Jesus will not relent in convicting us through the Holy Spirit every day until we become more and more and more like him. And he will use whatever circumstance he can to do that. So as we stand before this mirror and we take a good look at ourselves, then our first response should not be shame and guilt because of the struggle. Our first response should be, thanks be to God. Jesus Christ is my deliverer. And this morning, as Phil leads us in a moment in in prayer and the worship team, it's a beautiful song to finish. There is nobody in this church who can sit there and go, it doesn't apply to me. You just proved that it does. No, no, I've, I've moved past that. I have no struggles, Glenn. Well, wow. Every one of us. We constantly talk about inner transformation. Another word for that is sanctification. It's a constant confession and repentance. That's the way Christian life is meant to be led. That today, every one of us should be coming and listening to the invite of ministry and submitting ourselves to that. Because every one of us has not moved past the gospel. And friends, there's a dangerous complacency in church. We forget the gift we've been given. We ignore the struggle thinking that one day that drift will just stop and we'll figure it out. We won't. And we're content with playing with the package. As great as that is, we're missing out on the most wonderful, essential, perfect, priceless gift that any one of us has been given and his name is Jesus. If you want change in your life, Come to him. He's the only one. He's the only one who will bring that change. Are you holding on to the gift with both hands? Do you pursue it? Because that should be our Christian heart. Constant, unrelenting pursuit of Jesus. And as that old hymn says, as we turn our eyes upon Jesus, what happens? Everything else goes strangely dim. Submit to God. Resist the devil. We pray that this series has been impactful to you. And our prayer is that the change doesn't just stop. That you understand why some of the things are happening in your life. So that Jesus can go, that needs to change. Bring that to me. Yeah, that doesn't belong. Bring that to me. Let's let's work on that together. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this passage of Scripture. That, Lord, even though it's difficult to read, it's, it's encouraging, Lord, because it describes something that's very real for every one of us. And Father, my prayer now as we just worship and, and praise you and pray that, God, that, that you would work by your Spirit in each life in this room.
That, Lord, that we would stand in front of the mirror and we would listen to your voice, Holy Spirit, as it whispers those areas that we need to bring to you. And, Lord, I pray for the boldness, Lord, to bring them to the cross. And I thank you, God, that your word says that you are a good and merciful and loving and kind Father who embraces us back and whispers, it's going to be more than okay. Thank you, Jesus.